I want to talk to you about uh, when troubles come, what to do. When troubles come, what to do. And it's awesome that we're going through this first chapter of Colossians at this point in our lives, but um, what to do? Well, Paul wrote this letter of Colossians while he was in prison, and I realize that may not say much today, and um, that some prisons are quite posh, Um, but back in Paul's day, even the the nicer ones uh, weren't nice. Uh, Paul was in prison, he could have concentrated on his, his difficult circumstances. And I, and I guess uh, I'm wanting us to think about when, when we're going through the difficult circumstances, is this us? Is that, is that what we concentrate on? Is that what we focus on? He could have said, why me? He could have said, why me? Um, and that would probably be uh, most of us at one time or another. Um, this was certainly a time of crisis. And yet, it was a, um, a time of danger and opportunity. You're probably familiar with this Chinese uh, symbol for crisis. It uh, represents both danger and opportunity. And any time that we face a crisis, we face difficult circumstances, um, there is that danger that we will just go the wrong way, that we'll decide, and I realize God is gracious and merciful, and He can bring us back. Praise the Lord for that. But it's, sometimes it seems like instead of going toward God, in the times of crisis, we say, this isn't working. Let's try something easier. Let's try, I'll do it myself. And so what to do when trouble comes? Paul understood about trouble. In fact, you look at 2 Corinthians chapters 9, 10, it's incredible the things he went through. But this is what he said, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. That word sufferings is the bad things that happen. A few things included in that. It's just the bad things that happen in life. And it can, it can include the emotional drain and drama that, that difficulties bring. But really, it's, it, it, it's referring a lot to just the difficult circumstances and hardships that you encounter as you go. Now, I realize that Paul's, many of those were because of his faith in Christ. It says, and fill up that which is behind of the afflict, afflictions of Christ in my flesh. The word afflictions there is that narrow, that narrow uh, feeling like you're in a box. Thing. Paul was in a box or he was in a narrow spot. He was in prison. Well, sometimes just living life, God allows us to endure problems and difficulties that we, we don't see a way out. We don't even see much room to move. And it's very uncomfortable. 
So what do we do? What do we do when that happens? What do we do when that happens? Well, first of all, um, you apply what you know about God and your relationship to Him. You apply what you know about God and your relationship to Him. You're reading the, a book. You're reading a book. Uh, let me see. The other day, and a guy went to church, and uh, somebody got up to give a children's talk. And the guy said, I want to tell you guys about what God is like. And he starts telling this story about when he was a kid that he and some friends of his went to a, a neighbor's house that had a beautiful apple tree. They got there and they, um, instead of asking, can we have some apples, they decided to steal the apples. They decided to steal some apples. And so they made off with them, enjoyed the apples, and the next day they thought they'd do the same thing. Well, the man was waiting for them this time. He caught them and he took them to their mums. And according to the man, he said they, they got a real good hiding. They were really punished for stealing the man's apples. And the man continued his story and he said, you know what? That's what God is like. That's what God is like. So let me tell you, you better make sure you're always doing the right thing because God is going to get you. Now before you think that's where I am, didn't you go, Ooh. yes, there is a certain part of God that He is holy, that He is just. But aren't you glad that God is just not waiting? Oh, did you just sin? Whap! Did you just think wrong? Whap! Aren't you glad? In fact, he says, the psalmist says, if God were to count sins, who would have a chance? Now that's Kelly's version of that verse. But none of us would have a chance. So when I say, apply what you know about God and your relationship to Him, you know what? Make sure that what we believe about God is right. So what is it that we're supposed to apply and about God and our relationship to Him? Well, first of all, remember to whose kingdom you belong. Remember to whose kingdom you belong. He says in verse number 13, He says, He's delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. We talked about that, I think, last week, how um, the Lord has taken us from the kingdom of darkness, and He basically just put us down in His kingdom. We're members of His. It's not that we got all polished up and all shined up. He saved us. He gloriously saves us. And, and we, we, we don't change ourselves. He changes us from the inside out. But he says there that he has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. We're part of his kingdom now.
We're part of his kingdom now. And really, there's a couple of kingdoms that we've been part of. In fact, we can, we can visit those kingdoms. We can, we can make ourselves captive under those kingdoms again. For example, Satan, the devil, is called the prince of the power of this world, the prince of the power of the air. And it says, and you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead or separated from God in trespasses and sins, where in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. God doesn't want us going our old ways, following the crowd or what the devil would have us to do. So that's not a kingdom that we're supposed to be a part of or to join. The second kingdom that we've really got to fight against is my kingdom. My kingdom. We each can all, we each can build our own kingdom. In fact, one writer said this, we all desire the ability to shape things so that they come out the way uh, to, or come out our way to be Lord of our lives and the people and things that comprise it. We want to be able to organize and we want to, but no, I'm not going through that. That's too difficult. No, you're not going to do that. We want to do that. We give in to the thought that if we just had more control, our life would be better we can make things come out the way we want and guide our destiny. When the Lord Jesus translates us, He doesn't translate us into, the, into our kingdom. He doesn't make us king. He puts us in His kingdom. Notice He lives the example Matthew 26, 53 and 54. When he's um, cruci being crucified, he says, Thinkest thou not, or before he's crucified, he says, Thinkest thou not that I cannot pray to the Father, and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? You know, he could have, he could have manipulated life. He could have been in control. But he said, No, he says, I'm going to do the Father's will. So he wasn't willing. He wasn't willing to do his own thing. But notice being part of his kingdom. We're part of the kingdom of his dear son. And when you think of the king, and I realize we can just read over these verses, the kingdom of his dear son, we can sort of just read over those. The king, a king of a kingdom, you, you think about Israel's kingdoms in the Old Testament, their, their kings, they had some really good kings and they had some really bad kings. Well, with kings, they have knowledge of their, uh, of the people they lead. They have power. They have authority. Um, and when we think of us being part of his kingdom, 
Um, Matthew 10, 29-30 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So as we're facing the difficulties, as we're, we're going through life circumstances, if you know Jesus is your Savior, the Lord is going with you every step of the way. And the beautiful thing is, is he says not a hair of your head falls. He knows them all. So if he knows the very hairs of your head, he knows everything else going on. And he must be okay with it. Paul in the book of Romans says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. He knows in verse 38 and 39, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So folks, this morning, first of all, we need to remember whose kingdom we're part of and the fact that He really is uh, in control. Romans 8.16, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Paul says in Romans 8.18, For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You know, he says in his kingdom, he allows his children to suffer. And the little, bit of, the little bit of pain, the little bit of difficulty that we're going to go to or go through in Romans chapter 8, he assures us that it's not going to separate us from him or his love for us. But then, earlier in the chapter, he tells us that that same love, that same suffering, will be rewarded one day. So the first thing is what to do when trouble comes. First of all, remember to whose kingdom you belong. So the king decides what's going on. The, deci the king decides what's going on in his kingdom. So if he allows the trouble, the difficulties to happen in our lives, he has a plan. The second thing I want you to notice is that remember the Father allowed Jesus to suffer. The Father allowed Jesus to suffer. Notice that this kingdom is the kingdom of His dear Son. That word is translated otherwise, guess what? What do you reckon that's translated otherwise as? As beloved? 
his well-beloved son. And time and time again, at his baptism, when he was transfigured, do you remember what God the Father screamed down or yelled down from heaven? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And yet, he allowed his beloved son to suffer on the cross for our sins. Notice it says in 2 Corinthians 1, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. So the Father of the Lord Jesus, He is the God of all comfort. But notice in verse the next verse, uh, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds by Christ. So just as he's able to come beside, just whatever the suffering, he comes along and gives grace. Don't ever worry that you're going to face a problem or a difficulty that the Lord will not give you grace to, to go through. He is the God of all comfort. And I love it, you know, he, it's, it's like a, a physician, I mean, like a pharmacist. You take uh, the, phar- uh, the different people from all walks of life go to a pharmacist and they provide, they give their script and the pharmacist from the vast supply of medicines that they have they provide, and they don't just say, oh, I think I'll just give this red pill out today. Oh, we got a lot of these white ones. Let me give these all out. They give according to the needs of the person. Well, when it comes to the God of all comfort, he is the one that's able to come beside, and whatever the trouble is, he is able to help. He allowed his son to suffer he will allow us to suffer too. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So folks, we need to know that the Lord uh, knows we're going to suffer but we need to let that, that suffering, that those difficulties have their perfect work in us. And really the main point of the message this morning is the last. The last thing is, is remember what the Lord has done for you. You know, the children of Israel, in, um, you look at the book of Exodus and Numbers, and, and oftentimes they would disobey the Lord and they would, they would feel bad and then they'd go back to the Lord and then they would go away again. And then time and time again, they would go away and the Lord would bring them back. Well, you need to remember, and time and time again, he would accuse them. He would say, guys, you're, you're forgetting what I've done for you. you for, you're, you're forgetting uh, when, when these problems come, when you start getting hungry, when you start getting thirsty, you're forgetting the things that I've done for you. 
And so Paul here, he reminds us that, you know what, when the problems and difficulties of life come, when he's in prison, when he's in a little box, when he's experiencing all the difficulties that come, he tells us that we need to remember what the Lord has done for us. Notice it says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. I want us to look. The first of all, the thing that we have in Christ is redemption. And I want us to look at that word just for a moment. Um, so he has redeemed us. He has redeemed you. To redeem means to deliver by paying a, a price, to buy back by paying a price. And oftentimes it would be used of, um, in those days of buying a slave back and paying the, the monies for them. Well, the, the, the picture is, is that we had gone astray and the Lord was willing to pay for the price for our sins by dying on the cross. He was willing to pay that price for us. We have the redemption, that forgiveness of sins that the Lord provides. This redemption affects our relationship with God, with ourselves, our neighbor, and creation. So the fact that He has bought us back, that He has paid the price for our sins, what, what does that matter? Well, it, it actually matters a lot. It affects our relationship with God, with others, um, with ourselves, and with creation. First of all, let's look at the fact that this redemption affects our relationship with God. It says there, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Our sins separated us from God. Um, the 93-year-old lady that I talked to about the Lord and I asked her, I said, now, um, are you a sinner? And she looked at me just so sweet and she says, nope, I am not. And I understood what she meant because this lady, she'd been a sweet mom, I mean, 93 years and just the sweetest lady. But then I said this to her. I said, well, can I ask you something? I said, have you ever done anything wrong? Have you ever, ever lied or anything? And she says, well, of course I have. Hmm. Let me ask you something this morning. A question. How many times did you sin against God maybe yesterday? Or the day before? How many times? Both in things we said or we thought or our being selfish or our losing, our not being in control of our emotions and letting others or the way we treated others. How many times? Got a, a number in your head? All right. I'm going to go on the low side for me. 
I'm going to go on the low side. I'm going to just say 10. All right? I sinned 10 times yesterday. You're going to follow me around and see what I'm doing now, aren't you? Say uh, I came short 10 times. Well, you times that by 365 days. That's 10,365, I hope. Is that right? That's, am I bad with a calculator too? 10 times 365. This was not supposed to. 3,650. Thank you. And then I calculate that by the time, by my age. And I'll not tell you that part. But, oh, just 3,650. I'm kidding. But, uh, this one, 54, 197,100. So in my 54 years, I've accumulated, at just 10 cents, uh, 10 cents a day, I've accumulated 197,100 sins between me and God. And some people think they're going to walk up to heaven and say, God, I'm here. I've been good all my life. It says there in those verses that in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He saves us from our sins. He doesn't ask me how many times I've sinned today or yesterday. He doesn't say, better not sin tomorrow. Can I ask you something this morning? Are your sins separating you from God? Well, if you're trying to work your way to heaven or if you're trying to be good enough, if you cut your sin number down in half of mine or a fifth of mine, that's still 40,000. So we need His forgiveness. This redemption affects not only our relationship with God, it affects our relationship with ourselves. Why were we created? Why were we created? He buys us back by paying a price. He buys us back. It means for us that we can have forgiveness of sin. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, say the same thing about our sins that God does, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The debt of sin, the debt of guilt, can be quite overwhelming. Have we received, do we trust Him that He says when we know Him as Savior that we're forgiven? For we are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. It affects our relationship with ourselves. I'm not to live for my kingdom anymore. 
It's, it's not about my kingdom. It's not about your kingdom. When the Lord Jesus said, Father, if there's any other way, this is Kelly's version, okay? If there's any other way I can redeem man besides dying on the cross, and it's almost like he just stopped praying, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. What kind of kingdom are we building? Well, you know what? We're bought with a price. We're to glorify God. We're to, to make Him look good in our actions and in our attitudes, our spirit, the way we approach others. Uh, Titus 2.14, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify Himself of peculiar people, zealous of good works. That word peculiar people, just a holy a holy people, and the word the word holy it, it means firstly unique or different, and oftentimes it means uh, not sinful, but it basically means you know how would most people respond when they smash their finger with a hammer? I'm not saying you don't say, "Man, that hurt," but lots of people would go. Blankety blank, 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 blank. Well, a peculiar people would say what? Bert! And go get ice for it. Or when someone is smart with us at work, at home, instead of giving it back, we control the spirit. We control the spirit. And when we don't, sorry about that. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? This redemption affects our relationship with our neighbor. He's bought us back. He's paid the price. In fact, you know how He forgives us of our sins? Because He's forgiven us, we are to forgive others. We are to be tender-hearted. What's the opposite of tender-hearted? Old tough and tough like a tough like a burnt 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 steak. Well, we are to be tender-hearted. Read um, of a lady who um, she held a grudge toward her husband. He told her a lie forty years ago. He told her a lie, and for forty years she wouldn't forgive him. He'd ask, and she wouldn't forgive him. This lady's a Christian lady. And so, two weeks before the guy died, he said, Honey, will you please forgive me for saying that, doing that, whatever the thing was. Or it was, it was a lie. And she didn't respond. Well, he died. And now what does she have? She has guilt for not forgiving him. So let me ask you something this morning. Our redemption, Him buying us back, if He's willing to forgive me of my 197,000 sins, can't I forgive others of their sins toward me? Can't you forgive others? But you don't know what they did! Well, 
sometimes sins need the law involved. But lots of the times it's just a matter of us harboring unforgiveness. It really does affect our relationship with others. It makes a difference. And then with his creation. One day, Colossians 1.20, we'll look at it possibly later. One day, he's going to have a new heaven and a new earth. But folks, this morning, very quickly, what to do when trouble comes, remember to whose kingdom you belong. If you're a child of the king, if you're one of his, nothing that happens in this life, I don't care where you go, is within his kingdom. Secondly, remember the Father allowed Jesus to suffer. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. He does. And then allow what the Lord has done in our lives and is doing in our lives to affect how we look at life. An application, are things going amok because we're trying to build our own kingdom? We're living like we used to live. Are we trying to manipulate life and people and things to where that they go just like we think they should? Better let Him. Better let Him. Better trust Him. Are we trusting Him for grace to help instead of ourselves? Secondly, remember the Father uh, loves us. He will allow us to suffer too, even though He loves us. And then lastly, are we allowing His redemptive work toward us to work in us and through us? What a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior we have.